You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, sometimes we think that all of the things that are happening around us are new, and we're the first Christians to go through that. But in fact, things like satanic attacks and riots and plots to kill, they were all written about in the book of Acts. They were all part of the early church experience. And as we move through this series, Courageously Multiply, in the book of Acts, we've witnessed a tough road for Jesus' followers. And it began in Acts 1 when Jesus was ascending to his Father. He looked at his apostles and he commanded them to go forth to the ends of the earth and make his name known. And then in Acts 2, the church was born as the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And right from that moment, persecution began to rear its ugly head. Many people began to hate the church. But at the same time, the church was growing and multiplying daily, and the believers became this close-knit community that was tremendously attractive to those around it. But then in Acts 7, we have the first Christian martyr. Stephen was stoned to death, and there to give his approval was Saul, soon to be Paul. And then, in Acts 9, that same person met Christ on the road to Damascus, and his life absolutely changed, and Paul became one of the greatest evangelists, if not the greatest evangelist of all time. But he ran into opposition everywhere he went, everywhere the evangelists went, but all along, God kept growing the church. And on the first missionary journey from Antioch, which was the sending church, Paul and Barnabas were sent out and they immediately ran into a sorcerer. They immediately ran into Jewish legalists that wanted to stop them in their tracks. But the power of the gospel was too strong and the church continued to multiply. And then on the second missionary journey, there was more of the same. Opposition grew both from outside of the church but also from inside the church. And it was on this journey that in Philippi, Paul and Silas were imprisoned and then miraculously they escaped through an earthquake and the doors flung open and a jailer came to know Christ. All along showing that even when darkness was was trying to prevail, God always grew the church. And that's a positive thing for you and me. And now we enter into the third missionary journey. And these evangelists continued to face angry mobs, continued to face those that were really under the control of Satan. But God always won the battles. And here's what I want you to know, is that as a child of God, you are a winner in this cosmic battle. Because God always wins. And and I don't want you to give in to this cultural nonsense that's going on around you, that the church is somehow dying, or the church is not going to be victorious, because Of course the church will be victorious because God is. And so I want you to stay true to your calling. I want you to think like a first century Christian and see the incredible mission field that is out there, but all along knowing it will not be easy because it wasn't easy for these people either. So no matter how much you don't want to hear this truth, no matter how much you don't want to believe this truth, it is true that they're not going to like your message. They're just not. Jesus said they're going to hate me, they're going to hate you. How's that for a positive Sunday morning experience? 
absolutely true. But I want to help you this morning to be prepared for that battle. I want you to know that you are a victor and that you're not responsible for the outcome. You're not trying to please them. Your goal is to please God. And so let's take a look at what's happening in Acts. We're going to go to Acts 19, beginning in verse 11. If you have a Bible, if you have a tablet, if you have a phone, go ahead and open there. Acts 19, 11. Love to have you bring your own Bibles to church so you can study, write notes in it. But if you haven't, just go ahead and follow along on the screen. Acts 19, 11. So this is Paul's third missionary journey. We're not exactly sure who he took with him. It may have been Silas, it may have been Timothy, Luke most certainly was there because Luke's recording it as the author of the book of Acts. And this journey, like the first, began in this city right here of Antioch. This was ascending church. The main church of Jerusalem was down here. And this kind of greenish blue line is where they went and the red line is how they came home. And they first went to Tarsus. And remember, Saul of... Tarsus. And so that would have been familiar territory. And all the way here to Ephesus, where we'll see a lot of events happen today. But all the way to, through here and to Corinth. And it was in Corinth that they ran into this man, Apollos, who knew bits of the gospel, was committed to Christ, but didn't understand how it all worked. And so Priscilla and Aquila, the partners of Paul, gave the information to Apollos, and he became a dynamic spokesman for the gospel. But today we focus on Ephesus. And it was in Ephesus that we're faced with the reality that they're just not going to like what we have to say. They didn't like Paul's message, they're not going to like our message. And after performing miracles, after casting out demons, Paul ran into a group of men who thought they could borrow the power of Jesus to enhance their own gain. And so look at now at 1911 through 20 and how his message was received. And again, the result, though discounted and mocked, well, the church multiplied. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then, here come the men that I was talking about, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, how's that for a job description, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, well, they were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all of the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. You see how God's power now is overcoming the power of darkness. In verse 18, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, which is a theme in Acts over and over and over again. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the church multiplied even while these with evil intent tried to stop it. And this will be the case for you too. When you're out there doing your thing for Jesus, here's the first point I want to make, and that is they won't like your message, so they'll twist it. They will abuse it. And this is something that we're all going to have to get used to in the culture that we're living in right now. It'll be twisted and it will be abused. People will not only despise the gospel message, they despise our worldview. They don't like it. They don't understand it. But Satan will try and twist it to meet his own ends, to the delight of those who are hearing it. The Bible says in the end times, people's ears will be tickled. This is what Satan will try to do. And here we are in Ephesus. Ephesus was this idol-worshiping city. It contained this massive temple to a goddess by the name of Artemis which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So everyone from the area came to Ephesus. And Paul's work there had been amazingly successful. He had planted at least three churches. And they were also incredible miracles. Look at verses 11 and 12. They describe how God worked through the apostle. And there's no magic power in in handkerchiefs and aprons. But they were symbols of God's miraculous power. And so by by mentioning this, Luke is setting the stage for this next big event that would happen with the sons of this man, Sceva. And one of the themes of the book of Acts is God's power over the occult. And this incident is just another example that God has power over demons. And even though Satan doesn't want your message to get through, he doesn't want people to come to grips with the gospel and have their lives changed, well, God is more powerful. And so we don't need to be concerned about the end game. We need to be concerned about simply doing our part. So what happens? Paul runs into some itinerant Jewish exorcists. They use chants. They use these different methods to try to invoke Jesus' name over demon-possessed people. They had seen the apostles doing it. I'm sure the apostles were just invoking the name of Christ, and these magicians thought, wow, I can do that. So they thought it was just a magic trick. And so they were taking this beautiful thing that was happening, and they were twisting it, and they were abusing it for their own ends. And this man, Sceva, was either a Jewish chief priest or just claimed to be. And so if he was the Jewish high priest, then each year he would have gone into the Holy of Holies, he would have sprinkled blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, in order to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And that would have really caught the attention of magicians because there's a mystical aspect to that. And so the sons of this man were running around and they were trying to take the name of Jesus and use it to enhance their own ends. But they weren't the real thing. And they didn't realize that they were holding dynamite in their hands. But what an interesting exchange this is in 15 and 16. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
That'd be kind of humiliating, actually. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Those that don't accept your message, they they may turn it twisted and confuse some, but they're not going to get it past God. And God will always be there to filter it. God will always be there to help people understand it. And there appears to be significance here attached to the variation of the verb know. And this is interesting too. The Spirit first said, Jesus I know, and that's gnosko, to know by interaction or experience. So he absolutely knew who Jesus was and is. And he had probably interacted with them before. And then he added that Paul I recognized. That's epistemi. That means to know about. So I've interacted with Jesus. That I'm sure of. I, I, I know about this man, Paul. But then when he came to the sons of Sceva, he had never encountered them. Why is that? Because they were fake. They were pretenders. And they were trying to abuse the power of God for their own gain. But it didn't go well for them. They ended up being beaten up and wounded and shamed And so that's what happens when you mess with the power of God. A a modern example of how the message is twisted many times is the prosperity gospel movement. And the prosperity gospel movement holds in its teaching that you as a believer deserve to have and will have all of the wealth you want, all of the physical well-being that you want if you do the right thing. And so it mystically teaches that somehow that you can conjure up enough faith that you should say the right words and somehow avoid saying the wrong words in order to turn a light switch on and God says, okay, I'll go do that now. And here's the real danger of it. Not only is it just totally unbiblical, but there's a bondage that comes with it because people are I mean, I've run into people who are just terrified that I might have said something or I don't have enough faith so, and then if it doesn't go the way we want, we're left wondering, didn't I do the right thing? Didn't I do enough? When the Bible clearly teaches that faith is a gift and that God's sovereign. And so this is one way that we see the truth being twisted in this mystical way. And outside the church, you're encountering this in our culture now. It's being twisted. They don't know your heart. So you're being lumped in with, you're being called bigoted and racist and narrow-minded. And it's frustrating. But the point of this is that you can expect that because you're a warrior of Christ. This is nothing new. This is what happened to the believers in Acts. Somehow, we have forgotten history and we think we are the first Christians to be persecuted or to be thought poorly of. No, this was 2,000 years ago. They're never going to like your message. But some will receive it because God will call them to that. And so even if it's twisted and abused, don't get frustrated. Just accept this will be the case. So that's Skeba's sons. And coming right out of this event, still in Ephesus, Paul encountered another nasty group of people. And we know that Ephesus was the home of this temple for Artemis. And they were about to find out something, and here's my second point. 
they won't like your message, so they're going to make it personal. They'll make it personal. They, they may try to harm you. They may try to insult you. They're going to go after the messenger. And here, Paul is stepping on their pocketbooks because there was great money to be made in the tourist, idle, souvenir trade. Because if you travel, just like if you were going to Hawaii or something or India to see the Taj Mahal or whatever, you're going to buy a trinket to remind yourself you were there, and that's what these people were making a lot of money on. So finally, as Paul was converting people, and they had no interest in this, a craftsman had had enough. Look at verses 23 through 28. About that time, there arose no little disturbance, love Luke's language here, no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is simply Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great number, a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, as if he cared about this part of it, may be counted as nothing and that she may be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So their livelihood was threatened. And what did they do? They turned toward Paul. They wanted to harm the messenger. They made it personal. And what happened is, is there was this huge riot that ensued. A town clerk got up to speak and said to calm everybody down. Paul was able to escape. He finished his trip. He healed more people, raised people from the dead, and then he went home. And God helped him there. But there is something threatening about the gospel. And you're going to encounter that, and it's going to come back on you, and that's why you need to continue to trust God. When I was in middle school, about 100 years ago, I grew up in White Bear Lake, and I remember I was talking to a boy, and I was sharing the gospel with him. I'm sure it was artfully done as well. And this kid just got up and just swung one and cold cocked me and I went, just went down to the floor. And for a middle schooler in math lab, that was really horrifying. But why did he do that? It's because something inside of him was threatened. It, 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 it rung a bell in him. And that's what happens when we tell people about the gospel. Sometimes they're afraid of losing a job if they stand up for Christ. Or, or they're afraid of disappointing parents, or they're afraid of losing control of their lives. They're, they're even afraid sometimes of losing their intellectual high ground because they see Christians as a bunch of hayseeds who can't think, well, if I was to accept Christ, I'd have to be just like them. But Satan puts all of these blocks in the way. But that's okay because your job isn't to complete the deal. Your job is to simply be yourself, 
be a witness for Christ, make friends, find out how you can get to know people in your sphere of influence and be a light for the gospel. And the reason I want to talk to you about this today is not to discourage you. I want to help you to understand what you're up against because then you will more readily turn to God for your strength and you won't try to do it on your own because you can't. And here's a passage that you may know. It's not obscure, but it's powerful. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you can live a life free of fear? In a culture that is absolutely fear-mongering everything, Because if you really believe this, that he is your God and he will strengthen you and help you and uphold you, then that gives you freedom to live your life and it gives you freedom to be who you are in Christ and to share the gospel with those that come into your sphere of influence. Because it's God's power that's going to get you through this. Not your own intellect and not your own wherewithal. And people will take your message and they will not understand your heart behind it. They're going to twist it. They're not going to like you maybe. They'll take it personally, and you will maybe pay a price. But given the high-stakes game that we're playing, salvation, heaven, and hell, well, it's worth doing because here's the last point I want to make to you is they won't like your message, but they need to hear it. So, you know, to be really frank, put it this way, it really doesn't matter if we like it or not. They need to hear this. Because a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. The only way to deal with the sin problem that each of us is plagued with is to repent of our sins and believe that Jesus Christ is the one who came and took that sin upon himself. And then we believe that he is the Lord and we are saved. People need to hear this. And so will you tell them? Will you tell them the truth of the gospel? Will you tell your neighbors? Will you tell your friends? Will you tell your family members? Now, I'm not saying that you need to, every person you encounter, you know, hand them the four spiritual laws. But what I am saying is that each of us can be aware of opportunities that arise to simply plant seeds and understand that there is an army of believers that will come after you to continue to plant, continue to harvest. But we are called to do our part. So will you do that? Will you help Ridgewood Church tell the story? Will you pray for our church? You know, so many times people look at prayer has been kind of a last resort ministry. Well, you know, I really can't do anything, so I'm going to pray. No, wrong. Prayer's the most important ministry. And so will you pray for our church that we will have opportunities to share the gospel? Will you give to our church financially? So you've been so generous about Illuminate. Will you please make good on your pledge? Will you please give more if you can for others that are struggling during COVID? 
because this isn't just about fixing a building. We're growing our budget. We're trying to do more ministry. We're trying to get more missionaries on the field. We're trying to become more of a force for the gospel. So will you do that? Will you serve? Will you mentor? Will you disciple others? And you know what you have to do to do all of that? You have to be together. And this may be a crazy, simple request. But please come to church if you can, and I'm glad you're here. But here's the thing. I understand completely that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and not everyone can come to church. Not everybody should be in church. In fact, I saw some people today, I thought, you shouldn't be here. I didn't tell them that. But this pandemic isn't going to last forever. And then, are we going to be still scattered, or are we going to come back together and be the church that God called us to be? Because the Bible's very clear that we are not to forsake gathering together. This is why in other countries, Christians risk their lives to gather, because it's important, because this is where we come into relationship with each other. And so, will you pray? Will you give? Will you serve? And will you be willing in your own sphere of influence to be this kind of a Christian, even though knowing that they may not at all like what you have to say. And the road may be hard, but remember, your job isn't to please them. Your job is to please God. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.